Morning, good afternoon. How are you doing? You all well? Yeah, good to see you all. You can turn to the person beside you and say it's only 21 sleeps. <laughs> Go ahead. Absolutely, only 21 sleeps. It's <gasps> so exciting. Excellent. Mm-mm. Mm. Ah, anyway, so anyone not started shopping yet? I have nothing. Good. That's all right. That's good. Okay. Anyway, with two more weeks of the Greater Than series. What a series though. Yes, you enjoyed it. Uh, oh, it's been gone forever, three months or so. It's been so good to do a little bit of a deeper dive. And uh, Pastor Sean will finish it up next week. I'll be in Newbridge next week. And, uh, but today we're going to go Colossians 3 towards the end of the chapter. We're going to verse 18. And we'll read it all the way to the end. And then we'll steal the first verse of chapter 4. And it kind of goes together. And, uh, and we'll take it from there, okay? Jesus is greater than our rights. But to be honest, it's, yeah, he's greater than everything um, that we'll talk about today, so I wasn't really sure where to land rights or parenting or marriage. I wasn't what, what he's greater than. He's greater than it all. But anyway, I landed with rights. Okay, so Colossians 3, um, verse 18. Uh, girls, just brace yourselves, please. Wait till I'm finished. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, okay? Yes? <laughs> it's going to be a long couple of days here. Okay. All right, and do not be harsh with them, all right? Children, obey your parents. Yes. Oh, was more old men for that, wasn't there? Oh, uh, yeah, oh, I know rightly. Um, obey your parents in everything, that's cool, um, for this pleases the Lord. Uh, fathers, then, do not embitter children, uh, your children, embitter somebody else's but not your own, uh, or they will become discouraged, all right? Slaves, uh, show your earthly masters in everything. Oh, sorry, obey, what am I saying? Obey your earthly masters and everything. So uh, let's try and put this in the 21st century. So um, it's not an ideal fit or a perfect fit, but I want to go employers and employees. Uh, I can assure you, if you're not an employer and you are an employee, you're not a slave in the um, ancient literature sense, okay? But uh, let's try and make it some sort of sense to us. Obey your earthly masters and everything and do it, uh, not only uh, when their eye is on you uh, to carry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, uh, whatever it is you do, work at it with all your heart. That's great, isn't it? All your heart. It's a heart thing. Work is a heart thing before it's a hands thing, okay? Work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, uh, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. There's always a heavenly bonus when we work hard, okay? Anyone who uh, does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. And then, as I say, we'll just wrap the end of this around verse uh, 1 of chapter 4. Masters then provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that also you have a master in heaven. Okay, so masters and employers weren't getting off with it. Um, they were getting some instruction as well. So the last time we spoke together, uh, two or three weeks ago, you may remember at the start of chapter 3, I said how very often in Paul's writings, what he will do, he'll tell a whole letter, he'll introduce himself, he will then deal with some theology relating to the problem of which he's writing the letter in the first place. And then there's always a point in Paul's letters where he gets practical. He then unpacks and applies all the theology that he's just written about to everyday life. And so at chapter three of Colossians, this is where the practical side of the letter begins. 
And if you can also like, imagine from with me in your minds like an upside down triangle, and at the start of chapter three, it's kind of the this, this top part of that triangle. It kind of filters down in its practical nature almost to, to verse 18 to where we get to today, where it becomes really, really practical into several different, uh, three, uh, three different types of relationships that exist uh, in the world then, but also in the world that we live in today. And out of those three relationships, we're just going to get a chance today by time to focus on two of them. And so I'm not going to spend any time at all on the masters and slaves or employer, employee, uh, but you will get the gist of it. uh, And hopefully the gist will apply to that relationship as well. All right. So let me just pray. And then this will all make more sense. So Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this series. Uh, Many of us, Lord, have been changed by your word and uh, have uh, found fresh meaning and fresh... um, impetus and even fresh faith, Lord, through this series. And I pray today that'll be no different. I want to pray for families and I want to pray for marriages today, especially. Uh, those, two, those two key areas, those two key building blocks for society and the world that we live in, Lord, that we can just rush on ahead and, and forget, Lord, to invest in or to put effort into. And so, God, I pray, give us some fresh understanding of a biblical mandate of parenting and of marriage today. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, we have three types of relationship, um, which, as we're going to see, uh, Christianity has just come in and altered altogether, has changed forever, okay? Jesus does not come into your life and leave you as you are. Yes, he changes everything, okay? He wants it all, okay? Salvation is free, but it'll cost you everything. Yes, a life with Jesus is completely free. There's no charge, okay, but it will cost you everything about you. And so what we have here, we have the marital relationship between a husband and a wife. We have the familial relationship between children and parents. And then the relationship that we won't get to is the commercial relationship between masters and slaves or in, in, let's say, a work context, okay? What's also really important to um, kind of remember is the context. There's a couple of contexts I want to just poke at before I get into it. Uh, so the first context is this, is there's a Roman culture, okay? The Roman culture of the day is, um, there, there's Jewish influence, of course there is, but the prevailing culture, uh, this, Palestine was, was occupied by Romans, so there's a heavy prevailing culture, highly taxed, highly invasive, highly evasive, uh, patriarchal, male-dominated, uh, and then also as a result of that male domination, there was the suppression of, there wasn't just the ignorance of women and children and slaves, there was the active suppression of women and children and slaves. They were literally nothing and things to be cast out on the side once you were done with them, okay? And so this was the context into which Paul was writing here. And then he, he brings, then Jesus comes and, and, and Paul writes these letters. And what, what Paul is bringing in, there's another culture, another context that collides with the culture of the moment. And it is the culture of the kingdom of heaven. It is a kingdom culture. It is a gospel culture. And when the gospel culture collided with the, the prevailing culture of the day, fireworks, everybody, fireworks. And I, I think we're in a, in a time in the world today where when the kingdom of heaven, when the culture of heaven collides with the world today, we're going to see fresh fireworks. Amen? We're going to get, and I want us to be a church that is comfortable with firework displays. Okay, because there's going to be many of them and you're going to create a few. You're going to send up a few rockets in your workplace. You're going to send up a few rockets in in your families and in your relationships for the Lord. Are you ready for a big pinwheel of heaven? Okay, a big 
There's going to be loads of them, okay? Because when heaven collides with earth, you know what? For Christians, that's wonderful. But for those who, who, who live in a different way, it's an altogether different paradigm-shifting experience, okay? And so we have these two clashes of culture. And so what Jesus does and what Paul then unpacks through his letter here is that he's creating a new Christian ethic, and I'll unpack that in a second, and a new Christian morality. So there's ethics and there's morality, and I'm not going to try and lose you here, okay? I get too complicated, but the, the relationship is like this. For example, say, say I have a 14-year-old daughter, and my daughter comes and says, hey, I want to I spend the night at my, my 16-year-old boyfriend's house. Can I get an Amen. No one's amen on that one, okay? And so I will say, like, no, all right? So the, the, the ethic will be, well, actually, put it this way. The, the moral will be, no, that's not going to happen. That is the outcome of that request. She will then go, why not? And my explanation of the no is the ethic. The ethic is the journey. The moral is the outcome. So Paul is changing both. He's changing the journey and the nature of our relationships in order to change the moral. To create a new morality, he's changing a new ethic. That's not Roman. That's not highly suppressive. That's not domineering. It's a new ethic that's established by the gospel so that we can create a new gospel morality. Am I making sense? You're, you're with me so far. He's changing the journey to change the outcome. And so as part of that, in, in the background of all of that, we have two or three different types of obligations that when applied to marriages and families and then the commercial nature of the relationship in the workplace, change everything. Fireworks, everybody. What happens, number one, is there's now a give and take obligation, a reciprocal obligation. For the first time ever in, in this culture, okay, in marriages and in the workplace and in families, there is a, a give and take. For the first time ever, not all the privileges and all the rights are stacked in the favor of one person, but actually it's for everyone gets to say, everyone gets to experience the privilege, everyone gets to go. And as a result of all of that, women and wives, they were elevated, children were elevated, slaves were elevated to be people. Imagine that. They got a voice. They, they were worth something. And the gospel values people. The gospel values womanhood. The gospel values and celebrates children. It celebrates the workplace. And we've got to get to grips with that even in the world that we are in. The gospel is inclusive. The gospel is expansive. And it celebrates all of these things. The second thing that we see that was new, real new, is this then mutual obligation, okay? And what this means is that for the first time ever, everyone in the relationship is responsible for the other one. It wasn't just one person responsible to another. It wasn't the wife responsible to the husband or the woman to the man or the slave just responsible now to the, to the, to the employer. No, no, no. The employer, the master, is now just as responsible to the slave as the slaves to him. That is mind-blowing in the culture of the day. It's incredible. And so the, the questions shift in the nature of that relationship. It means for the first time ever, it's not all about what about me. The question is, well, what about you? And that's really, really refreshing, everyone, in this day and age. We are so, uh, we, I think we are bred, we are encouraged in the world today to be ourselves, to look after ourselves, to please ourselves, to put ourselves first. We're taught today how to complain, aren't we? It's your right. You've a right. You've a right to this and a right to other. You've a right to complain. In fact, here's how to complain. In fact, let's 
Make something, just complain. It doesn't matter. Let's go for it. But what happens is that when you create a culture of complaining, you also create people who grow up and see everything to complain about. They grow up untitled and dissatisfied and disinterested, and it's an awful way to live, and we see it everywhere. So what we need to do to counteract that is be churches and believers and people full of the Spirit of God that actually walk around preferring the other. Because if I know I trust you and you trust me and I look after you and you look after me, it's win-win. Hey, imagine coming to church. Imagine coming to church, not wondering who's preaching. Not really bothering if anyone's preaching at all. Imagine coming to church, not wondering where we'll get a car park. Imagine going to church, not wondering what will we be singing. Because those things are secondary because you're coming to church to give a bit. You're coming to church not to consume. Well, hopefully you'll get a bit as well. But you're coming to actually give and to sow and to be a blessing because there's something in you that says, you know what, I know Pastor Sean, Pastor Jill, they look after and they love us, but I'm responsible for the vision of the house. I'm responsible for loving each other. I'm not just the pastoral care team, but I've got a voice. I've got a part to play. I've got something I want to input and give. Why? Because I understand the gospel motivates me in this idea of mutual obligation. I love you. You love me. Everybody loves each other. Hip, hip. Hey, imagine what it would be like knowing that you're, you know, people coming to church, knowing that you're going to speak to them and give them a wee hug, a wee side hug, something. That's why they come. They don't, they don't care. They know there's somebody going to be in the room that's going to know their name. It's fantastic stuff. It works. And then also, we have this Jesus obligation. So we have this give and take, we have this mutual, and then there's a Jesus obligation, which again, of course, that's going to be very brand new in the relationship of family and marriages and into this uh, commercial relationships. Very different. Verse 17. Let's pop verse 17 up, everybody. I'm going to put the amplified version. It says this, and Paul, and this is kind of a summary verse of the first 16 verses of chapter 3. Paul says, and whatever you do, whatever it is, doesn't matter what it is, just whatever it is. No matter what, there it is, okay. In word or deed, do everything. Everything in the Greek means everything. And the name of the Lord Jesus, in his name, not for his name, in, his, in the authority, as if it's Jesus, in the name, in the costume, in the call, in, 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 in habit, in the name of Lord Jesus and independence. Notice the space, okay? Independence upon his person, giving praise to God, the Father, through him. So instead of complaining every day, oh, it's foggy, oh, it's cold, oh, it's Christmas, oh, it wasn't warm enough, I'm giving my burger back, I'm phoning, shut up, giving praise to God in everything. Because Jesus is the pattern upon which I'm building my life. Jesus is the pattern on which I'm building my marriage. Jesus is the pattern. Not the pattern of my parents. Not the pattern of my grandparents. Not the pattern of my pastor. No, no. Jesus Christ is the pattern of my parenting. He's the pattern of my marriage. And he's the pattern of my business. In everything. Everything. No matter what it is. Independence of Jesus giving praise to God the Father. It is time, everybody. The world needs to see a, a church full of people whose marriages work. Yeah. 
to show that marriage still works. Amen. We all go through hard times and hard days and hard seasons. I get that. That's our humanity seeping out everywhere. But if Christ is the pattern, then whatever dies, come back to life. Amen? If he's the pattern. Anyway, two culture shifts. Don't have time for the last one, the commercial. Safe to say, work hard and employers pay well. Amen? Don't objectify your staff. They're not objects. They're made in the image of God. Hip, hip. Everyone else, go to work on time. Be first there. Oh, don't you hooray me for the first one, okay? And then go, mm, okay. No, no, no. You're first there and you're last to leave. Yes? Because in everything. Oh, well, I don't know. I said, oh, when you said everything, I didn't know you meant everything. I mean everything. Yes? How many wards do you look after? 50? A thousand? All hospitals in Dublin. Give praise, give thanks. I'm sure there's days you're like, Amen, I get it. Well, come on in everything. Let them see Christ in you, Jesus in you. Smile even. I don't know. I don't know what you do. But anyway, work hard. Be the best. Let people know, ah, do you know why she works hard? you know why he works hard? Something about him. Do you know why? I love the Lord. It is not hard to reach the lost. Just don't be like them. Anyway, okay. Number one, big culture shift, dictatorship to partnership. Okay, marriage. We're moving to partnership. <laughs> that was a man's voice. Which lets me know the dictator is not the man. Anyway. <coughs> ah, it's going it's to be... Turn the heating off. Okay. Um, some, I want to show you a little video. It's a little funny thing. It's two or three seconds. And sometimes, okay, uh, marriage can be like this. Anyone have a little helper in the car? Okay, just have a look at this. You get married, you're a guy, you get a little helper in the car. <laughs> I love my little helper in the car. She knows everything about driving. It's very convenient for me. <laughs> but sometimes I get confused. See, I don't know how I get anywhere without my helper in the car. I'd probably be bouncing off trees and buildings and stuff, but she's there to help. Like she tells me when the light changes colors and everything, it's very convenient and helpful. <laughs> like it's green, thank you, Albert. Cause I was confused, I didn't know. You get married, you're a guy, you there get you a little go. helper in the car. Anyone have got a helper in the car? Raise your hands advisedly, okay? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know who you are, girls, okay? Judith's like, stop, 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 stop. Miles away, okay, anyway. But I gotta be honest, I am worse as a passenger. Like, far, I am definitely the helper. Okay, so let's bring balance, all right. That's not really marriage, okay? Um, it's kind of in there, part of the journey, and part of the story. But let me, let me push the driving metaphor a little bit more, okay? And so when we look at these give and take and mutual and Jesus obligations and apply the metaphor in the Lord, 
What, ha- what happens in a marriage is, and we're not going to cure every marriage in the room in, in 40 minutes or 30 minutes, but what we do have is like this give and take obligation. It comes in and it's, it's like, you drive, I'll drive. There's this give and take and compromise. It's, it's all part of the journey. It's all part of the story. We share the wheel. We share the pedal. We share the gas. We share everything. Then there's the mutual obligation. You always pay for petrol. I'll do it this time. There's this you know, kind of mutuality goes on. As, yeah, I think as, as time goes on, one of the beautiful thing about it is some roles develop and change in marriage. And years ago, it used to be the man's role, woman's role. I'm not cooking, you do the cleaning. And that's, that's, that's all. It's kind of, it's given, it's mutual. And it's today, it, it rolls over and it blends and it, it's, it's a better thing. And then there's the Jesus obligation, the pattern in our marriages. Who's really driving your car? Who's driving your marriage? Who's got the wheel? I know it's a bit cheesy, but has Jesus got the wheel? Who's driving your marriage? What is the filter through which you make decisions? What is the, what, what way do you, do you process? Do we go to the word? Do we go to prayer? Or do we go to panic when things come along? Who, who is it? Do we go? Is, is Jesus the last resort when there's nothing else can be done? Or is Jesus the first port of call every single day? John F. Kennedy said, and I've said it up here before many times, the best time to mend the hole in the roof is when the sun is shining. In other words, don't wait to a crisis and then fix it, but get Jesus in the middle and hopefully there'll never be a hole in the roof. Amen. Amen. So we got to do, put Jesus in the car and let him drive. You get in the seat, you get in the roof rack, get in the boot, get somewhere. Doesn't matter where you go, just let him drive. Amen. I tell you, when, when, I, when I marry couples, I, I get on about purpose all the time in marriages because I believe when you get married, you get a purpose. You're not just there to have sex and pizza. <laughs> Throw that in there, absolutely. <laughs> but that's not at all. When you get married, right, there's something you're, you're on the earth to do. God wants you to do stuff. When I marry couples, I talk about Moses and the burning bush. I talk about Moses in the desert and has this encounter with God. This plant goes on fire and then God's voice comes out of it. Unbelievable. And and the first thing, Moses goes over and God says, whoa, before you come any closer, you've got to take off your shoes. You can't stand on this with those shoes on because this ground is holy. Oh no, this ground is set apart for my purposes. You can't stand with those shoes on. You've got to take those off. What's really crucial to understand is that sandals back in the day were symbolic of many things, but they were symbolic of his occupation as a shepherd, as a son. And God says, if you're going to step onto this land, this ground, that's now been freshly set apart from my purpose, you can do it in your old identity. I need you to take off who you are before you step on to who I'm calling you. When you get married, what happens is you step onto holy ground. The Bible doesn't call it anything, but the church people call it holy matrimony. That's why it's called. It's not just ordinary matrimony. It is holy matrimony. And because of the word holy is there, doesn't mean to say that it's in a church and a vicar did it and there's a choir. That's not holy. That's just stuff. What makes your marriage holy is that God sets it apart for a unique purpose. And so you can't step into your unique purpose and bring your singleness with you. Yes, you can't bring your parents with you. Please don't bring your parents with you. Some of you have brought you. 
Don't bring your friends and your single friends with you. Oh, it's getting quieter. <laughs> and don't bring all your hobbies with you either. You can bring those things. But if they get in the way of your new purpose of your marriage, then they have to go. You make a covenant to two people when you get married. You make a covenant to God and a covenant to your spouse. You don't make a covenant to the club. You don't make a covenant to the gym. You don't make a covenant to your kids. You don't make a covenant to the work. You don't make a covenant to the bank balance. You don't make a covenant to Amazon. You don't make a covenant to Apache Pizza. You don't make a covenant to anything. You don't make a covenant to your mother-in-law, father-in-law, mother, daddy, brother, sister. You make a covenant to him and you make a covenant to him and her. That's it. That's the focus of the journey. That's the focus of the strength. That's the focus of your part. That is your glue. It is horizontal and it is vertical. That is it in Jesus' name. Amen. And so this needs to be the priority or a restoration of a priority in our marriages and in our relationships, everyone. We've got to love one another and we've got to love him. Love this, love this. And you know how you love this? It's love this. I've never met anyone love Jesus and hate their spouse. You want to be a better father, be a or better husband, be a better follower. You want to be a better wife, be a better follower. And Akela, it just happens. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be given to you. My marriage isn't working. She doesn't know, and he doesn't know, and that, shush, start to pray. Start to pray. Get in, get back with God. Wait till you see what happens. You get eyes of love for him, suddenly you get eyes of love for her. Look at her today. Shabba. <laughs> All because of a wee bit of an amen. Come on, everybody. <laughs> Verses 18 and 19. Wives, here we go. Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. But husbands, you can quit. I'm coming for you now, right? And I'm a husband. You've got to love your wives and don't be harsh with them. And so Paul's like, submission for sure. And like, oh, submit in 21st century. I not submit. There'd be no man. There'd be no man giving me whatever. I'm my own girl. Come on, somebody. Paul's saying, you know what, submit. But in the context of this beautiful, loving context, of, of love and mutuality and Jesus and all of this stuff in here. And before you go, well, I'm still not submitting. Hear me out on the husband's bit. Because you girls get a verse. We get a whole chapter what we have to do. Let's, let's manage well. Show you. Look at Ephesians 5. Look at this. Look at men. I'm sorry. Brace yourself. Wives are taking notes. Understand why. Support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. Good. You're out, but you can tap out. That's it. That's all you have to do. Right? Right, lads. Get your coat. Okay. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church. That's responsibility right there. He leads it like a shepherd. He knows where the church is going. There's a plan for the church. There's a destiny for the church. Is there a plan for your marriage? Of course there's a plan because there's a purpose and every purpose must have a plan. What's the plan? Not by domineering, but look at this, cherishing. 
Cherishing. When's the last time a man said the word cherishing? I cherish you. I haven't said that in quite a while. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives then should likewise submit to their husbands. Who doesn't want a bit of cherishing? Ladies, don't we? Don't we? It's a new day. A bit of cherishing goes a long way, wouldn't you say? Girls, help me out. I'm standing here. Come on. I made a vocal mistake there. Come on. Okay. Love we cherish? Yes. I thought you were. Okay. All right. Next one then. Here we go. Fired on. Husbands then, go all out. All out. Not just out the door. All out in your love for your wife. All out in your love for your wife. All out in your love for the gym. All out in the love for your stuff. All out in your love for the lads. All out for, no, no, all out for your wife. Exact, exactly as Christ, exactly in the same way as Christ did for the church. Here we go. A love marked by giving, not getting. When you get married for too long, what happens is I'll give when I get. But what we need to do as men is, never mind what we get, we're all about giving. And hopefully we'll get, you know, but it's all about giving. Christ's love makes the, makes the church whole. Do you, do you make your wife complete? Look at this. Look at this next one. The words of a husband invoke her beauty. Your words invoke her beauty. The word of God creates that for which it's proclaimed. And the word of God says when a husband speaks well of his wife, it invokes her beauty. Do you see? When you speak well of your wife, beauty is manifest. Don't wait till the makeup's on. She looks nice. You can invoke her beauty 24-7 because she's beautiful 24-7. That's the creative power of the word of a husband. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. Dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness, Radiant with purpose and separated unto the Lordness. And that's how husbands ought to love their wives. What a privilege. What a privilege. Yes, it absolutely is. This changes things, fellas. What a way. I, I want to be in a marriage like that. I'm married 23 years yesterday. And I got to know, I, I'm looking at this, okay? And I'm going to evoke. <laughs> Everything I do and say. I see, okay. Dressing her in radiant home. I'm going to make my texts longer. <laughs> K, dot. You know, that's it. How are you? Good. Heart emoji. Bum, done. <laughs> Must do better. F plus on the report. 
they're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. I think there's one more screen, some more verses. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats the church. That's how we treat our wives. We've got to feed and pamper them in church. And then since we're a part of his body, and this is why a man leaves father and mother and cherishes his wife, no longer two, they become one flesh. What, what, a, what, a, what a mandate, what a, what a mantle that we have. What a, what a privilege we have as husbands to, to be able to, to love on and to, to bless and to build and to cherish and to, and I think sometimes we need reminded. Husbands, we, we love this bit. We, we, you, you are the, I'm, you, you, I don't know if it's popular or not, you're the godly authority in your home. That went down better in the first service. Fellas, you just are. And we love that one. I'm a little bit of authority there. But also, you're the cherisher in chief. It's your role. You're the big romantic one. You're the evoker of the beauty in chief. That's the role. The role is just not to fix plugs, paint stuff, and the fence and do the car, that's in the mix, because that's the stuff you can do. But actually, it's, it's on us, it's on us, it's on me. I gotta be the cherisher in chief of Judith. I gotta be the one that invokes her beauty. I don't want anybody else invoking her beauty. I don't want anybody else's words invoking her beauty. I want it to be me. Because I have a covenant with her and I have a covenant with the Lord. I don't want my kids, go, Mama, you're beautiful. And that's the first time she's heard it in a week. We're also lovers in chief. This is a separate seminar. But it's on us, lads. It's on us to create conditions. Yes, it's on us to do our best and maybe to look our best and, you know, maybe we're letting it all hang loose a little bit or maybe we got to, you know, whatever. Again, separate seminar and we're being recorded. So I got to go handy and I'd love a little more latitude, but you know what I'm saying. We've got to create the moments, and you're saying, but you know what, Brian, I, I'm not the most romantic. I would be maybe verbally challenged in that whole area. I don't know how to say stuff, and I, don't, I mean, I just about had enough courage to ask my wife out 20 years ago, and I don't find all of that easy, and I know that, but here's what I do know. You have another love language, lads. We all have love languages. Boys and girls, all of us in the room, even your kids, and we'll hit that in a wee second. You have a love language, a way that expresses love and emotion and even intimacy. You absolutely have it. And what's incumbent upon couples is that, Mrs., you need to understand the love language of your mister, and mister, you've got to understand the love language of your missus. Some of you are in the room and you're thinking, I don't understand him. She doesn't understand me. She doesn't. No, no, that's not true. You're just not speaking the same language. And you're thinking because this breakdown of understanding, you're thinking, he doesn't love me because he doesn't say it. Now, if that's you, that's because your love language is words of affirmation. But if your husband's an active service guy, he's running around the house doing stuff to show you that he loves you. He just finds it hard to say it and he's doing it and showing it. And because you're, at, you're, you're verbal, you can't see it. So you think he doesn't love you. 
And you're fighting and you're rowing and you're doing all this stuff. And he's losing his mind going, I don't know what's wrong with her. I, I, can't, I don't understand that woman. I don't understand that man. What now? How can I read your mind? I don't know. And it's all down to this. We speak in different languages. My dad is a acts of service guru. He should be in the book. Illustration, Jim Somerville. I mean, honestly, I discovered this about 20 years ago. That was his love language. And I've been learning that every time he does a thing, this is my dad going, son, I love you. But because I know him and I know me and I know this is what he does, every time he does a thing for me, I feel I love you. I'm a words guy. So he doesn't really say it a lot. He says it a lot more now. And it's all good. And we have a phenomenal relationship. But it took me forever. We just got to work that out. So I want to encourage you to work out your language. Work out the love language. Get the book, Gary Chapman, The Five Love Languages. Christmas, the best Christmas present you'll ever buy. It's going to work you fix your marriage. It's going to be awesome. Thank you. All right. Good. An honest human of church today. Good. Second culture shift. Mm-hmm. It's procreation to parenting. Verses 20, 21. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, don't provoke or fret your children. Do not be hard on them or harass them, okay? Lest they become discouraged and sullen and morose and feel inferior and frustrated. Do not break their spirit. The words of fathers are massive. The words and actions of fathers are huge, everybody, yes? They really matter. The world will portray dads and fathers and men and husbands as bumbling oafs. The ones in the ads who are silly and make mistakes and don't know how to work stuff and an eight-year-old takes the phone and does whatever. And when you look at ads, and you will see this now that you've become aware of it, you will see how men are portrayed in the media, in movies and whatever. They are secondary, it's second shelf. They are burly, you know, it's the emasculation of masculinity altogether. It's out there, it is. And it has to go. And we're stopping it. Because we're going to be a church that's raising godly men and godly fathers who get it with godly women going for God. That, that's what's going to be. And so what I want to do is, I, I want to, and, and listen, let me just, I want to point this out. I, I get in a room like this, and right across Ireland and the world, the minute I talk about dads and fathers and stuff, and homes and marriages and all of that, there is, it's, it's like, a, like a quilt, and dust goes up, and emotions go up, and things go everywhere. And, and I totally get that. And we've got a great prayer team today, and we're you know, going to have prayer afterwards and things, but... What I want you to know is this, that there may be accidental parents, but there's no accidental children. And what needs to happen, and for you to understand this, is is not to worry about how you got here. It doesn't matter how you got here. The fact is, God wants you here. And there's nothing about you and the way you look and the gifts that you carry and where you live and the generation you're born into and all of that is accidental. It might be difficult and it might be unconventional. It might be, you know, compared to someone else and their story, it might be very unique, might be crazy. If I were to sit down with you over coffee and you would relate to me your story of your family, I'd like, this is novel, this is Netflix, this is crazy. Some of you have just wild stories. And for some of you in this room, it might be that, you know, you're the one that breaks the line. 
It might be for some of you in the room, you'll be the first in your family for generations that will stay married. It might be the first for you that you will stay unaddicted. It might well be you're the first in the line. And that's really difficult to be the one, to be the wedge in the wheel, to be the one that breaks the the moment, that kills the generation, that ends the line. It might be, but this might be your thing so that every other line that comes from you lives in the light of what Jesus has done in you. That just might be what you need to hear. You've got to be the one. Brian, I could give in. There's no one in my family. Suicide is rife. Divorce is rife. Addiction's massive. La, 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 la. But I've got Jesus and it just might be that you're the one that God's saying. It ends in you. It ends at the cross. And all your hard days and all your days you want to quit and all the days, why me? Why not them? Why is it every day my phone rings, it's my sister with another drama? Why is it always me? No, it ends with you. So that your son and your grandson and your great-grandson and every person that comes after you says, there was a day in our line, in our history, where that ended, when the blood of Christ broke it all. In Jesus' name, amen. And that's our role. That's what we got to do. So... Let me give you a couple of things that might help, again, in the idea of parenting, okay? Two or three things along the way. I'm just going to go straight to the parents bit, okay, just for the slides. And the first thing is this, and here's the thing about this. Uh, I'm going to be really super clear. When I'm going to give you stuff out of our journey, uh, very often what happens is you could sit there and you go, look, he's has it nailed him. Fantastic. Wow, what what a great, he knows it all. This is just stuff. You will have versions of these. You will have your own thoughts that really worked for you and I want them and I'll preach them somewhere else. You can take these and all together, well, between the, I don't know, a hundred of us will maybe make one good parent. But, but let, me, let, me, let me give you a couple of things that Judith and I have picked up along the way that might be of help. And then you can share with me yours and they'll help me. And the first thing that we learned is this, that daddy's reign but mommy's rule. daddy's reign and mommy's rule. They're very different. A king will reign, but a government will rule. So when you find like a king anywhere or a president, you know, just has no real executive power, but what they do is they embody the the culture of the nation. They embody the best of what that country represents. And so from that place, they reign. The government rules. They make all the laws and do all the stuff and look after the home departments and run the army and the police and the street cleaning and all that, right? So they govern, they rule. But kings reign. So when I say daddy reigns, I'm not saying daddy's king. That's not what I don't hear that, okay? Just the role of a father is different than a role of a mother. Yes? Okay. I promise they are different. They need to be different, okay? I've seen somebody this week on TikTok somewhere, a psychologist says, a mother and a child will look in at each other. A mother, a child and a father will look in and then look out. A child and a mother will help find their place in the family. A father helps a child find their place in the world. And you need both. So in our house then, what that means is that whenever the kids did something wrong and it all hit the fan, Judith asked this question. She went, what did you do? My question was, well, why did you do it? I was not interested so much in what they did, okay, because that was kind of obvious and Judith will sort that. And may the Lord bless them and keep them (laughs) as she sorts that. I can hear her sorting it from three miles away. It's, it's absolutely fine. No one can sort a thing like the quad mommy, okay? She can sort a thing. <laughs> but I cherish you, my love. Let me evoke your beauty. And, uh, you know, please don't sort me. <laughs> oh, 
So, but I want to know why you did it. I want to know with what part of that action was consistent with who you are as a person. What part of what you did, what part of that was consistent with what we believe as a family? What part of that activity was consistent with what we believe about the Lord? So when I reign, what I mean is I'm consistently challenging them against the culture of the house, the values of the family and the values of the word. As a house, we don't do this. As a house, we do this. So I don't go going, hey, you shouldn't have done that. That was really naughty. Because as I say, that's taken care of. But what I say to them is that's not how we live. And just to add insult to injury, I'll go, I thought you were better. <laughs> oh, that's a killer. Yeah. That's for free. <laughs> and they're like, oh, but I am better. Well, then you need to show me. And then they rise. And they rise to the level of the culture. But you've got to set it, dads. Second thing is this, then. You've got to speak their language. And again, I won't labor here. But find their love language. Gary Chapman has this book out, The Love Language of Teenagers. Please buy it. It is, it is, all right? So Sarah is quality time and gifts. That's the language she speaks in, okay? Because Sarah means princess and royalty likes gifts, okay? So she's quality time and stuff. Peter is a huge, he's like his grand, a huge quality time. Peter still to this day will come home at one or two in the morning. He, we're in bed. He will crash through our door, put the big light on, lie across our bed and tell us all about his day. <laughs> I'm like, sort him, okay, get him. And uh, so then, so that's what he'll do. So even like last week, he's texting going, Napoleon's out, let's go to the cinema. It's quality time. It's just, that's the way it is, right? Lucy is words of affirmation. So she is like, not touchy. I mean, she'll take a hug, but she's more words that kind of get her going. Charlotte is quality time and she's physical touch. So Charlotte was telling the, the crowd at the at first service, I was, remember one day I was doing dishes at the, the sink or whatever. And Charlotte, when she was younger, she would just come up and stand. So this is me at the sink. She would just stand here. I'm like, well, hello? You know, she just stand. Like I meant to mind read. And then I get it. Do you want a hug? Yes. And that was it. And she, so that was just kind of her. And so it, it's amazing. So Lucy then, okay, so her and Charlotte then play hockey. And um, they had a game. And I picked them up from the game, went into Foilside and to get some shopping, shopping center. And... Uh, so I'm all about the hugging and the arm linking and hand holding, not so much anymore. They're, they're, they're weirded by that. And, and so that's fine because they're 18. And, but the linking arms now is the hand holding equivalent. And so that's what we do. But not so much Lucy. I was trying to instigate it because I'm touch and words guy. And so she, she's not having any of it. I'm like, oh. And if you don't know the language, you would think, what have I done? What have I done? Why would she not? Because she doesn't, well, she, what did I say? Did I, what, is she in a bad form, mood, what? Mm -mm. But I know the language. I know what, what, how she receives love. It's words of affirmation. So I'm walking through Foilside and I'm going, hey, you were phenomenal on the hockey pitch today. When you, I didn't make stuff up. You, when you dived in, you fed that down the line, down the wing, do, 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 do. You were outstanding, whatever. It's like putting air in a tire. She was like, do you think so? I said, oh, I know so. Oh, thank you, that is fantastic. And then she did this. She linked her hand right into mine. And I'm like, oh, result. <laughs> Heads for thinking, for dancing. You see, it's all about speaking their language. It's not a coverall. Don't buy the book and then by Wednesday wonder why your family's not fixed. But start, learn the language. It's not they don't understand you. We're just speaking different languages. We absolutely are. 
And then worship team, you're, you're free to come back up. I want, I, want to, I want to close with this one. Get God's word for them. Please don't worry about them. Get God's word for them. Get God's promise. Oh, I never thought about that. My kids are 36 and 29. Get God's promise. God's still alive. Get God's word. Because I'm learning now that the whole thing about parenting is never over. Anyone? This seems to be a gift that keeps taking. Yes? Get God's word for them. Ten days before our guys were born, the Lord gave me Isaiah 60, verse 21, 22. And it turned out to be a promise that I've used over their lives, their whole lives so far. And I'll read it to you. And it says, they are the shoot I've planted. And I love that. I just love the whole thing. They're the shoot I've planted, the work of my hands for the display of my splendor. The least of you will become a thousand, the smallest a mighty nation. And you know, of course, Charlotte was my smallest. She was the smallest born, the lightest. And so you know this. I, mean, I, I will say to her today, you know, who are you? And she goes, I'm a mighty nation. And I says, yeah, you are. And then I am the Lord and it's time I will do this swiftly. And then once I got that, the kids then, fantastic. I phoned Judith and the Lord has spoken, I think. And they were born 10 days later and, and so it has been. And so this has been a word. Here's how it's helped me. Having a word from the Lord has helped me parent from faith and not fear. When you parent out of fear, it's all about parenting from rules. When you parent out of faith, you parent from relationship. It's not saying you don't need the boundaries and the rules, but you parent with love in a different level because you're not as fearful because you know the Lord has spoken. Amen. When we parent from fear, and I understand it because the world can be a scary place. We limit, we inhabit, we become suspicious, we restrain, we contain, all because we are afraid. But when you parent from faith, listen to me, look at me, you still have the fear. You just choose not to let the fear win and you let faith prevail. Amen. Now, fast forward 18 years ago and I'm nearly done. Thank you for listening so well. And I've shared this already, but we took the kids to university. That's the problem with quadruplets. They all, everything happens at one go. There's no drip feet away out of the house. They all went. They didn't go far. And they're still home at weekends. So seven days of chaos is now squeezed into three. Thank you, Lord. Anyway, we, were, we, we, we left Sarah and Peter at Belfast, drove off. Nightmare. Drove Lucy to Coleraine. Everybody's crying at this stage because Charlotte was the only one left at home. She's studying in the campus in Derry. Then didn't she land home yesterday? Daddy, I got a text. Girls in my class want me to get a house with them next year in Derry. I'm like, oh, great. You'll all be away next year then, oh. Lovely. It was awful. That day was awful, that Sunday night. It was just terrible. It's like a bereavement. It was the end of a type of parenting season. And I'm going up the stairs. I'd had enough. And I didn't want to bed. Because then if I, get up, if I go to bed, I'll go to sleep. And then it's Monday. And this day is just over. I got up the stairs. And out of nowhere, this voice goes off in my head. And in my chest. 
I wasn't having my Bible out. I was walking up the stairs very sorry for myself. And I believe it was the Lord. And he said, they are the shoot I have planted. In the work of my hand. For the display of my splendor. The least of you will become a thousand brides. The smallest of mighty nations. I am the Lord. And in its time I will do it swiftly. Oh, and I want to tell you, oh, the word of the Lord came and I was, the pain left and I was joyful and I skipped up to bed. I did not. But I did discover this, that while seasons end, his promises never do. And I want to encourage you as parents, when you got a word over your child, here's what I learned and I want to share with you just three quick things. I learned this the constancy of God's promise over them. I learned the consistency of God's purpose for them. And I learned the cooperation of God's parenting with them. He's always parenting them. And he's always leading them in purpose and his promise over them. It means now, in this new season and dynamic of parenting, 18-year-olds who have left home, I can still parent from faith and not from fear. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage all the parents in the room. That's hard work. There's no night class for this. Your, parent, your kids, forget that you were 18 once. Every parent in this room still feels like they're 18. Yes? You pass yourself in the mirror and you go, who's your man? <laughs> oh, it's me. And that's the thing about it. And you don't know why sometimes you can't connect because inside you still feel like you're one of them. Come on, let's stand. Let's stand again. I'm going to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we're praying for some great romance this week. We're praying, Lord, for a fresh awareness of love languages and a fresh awareness of the, the vows that we took, some of us a year ago, some of us 30 years ago. I'm mindful, Lord, of those in the room that would do anything to hear their wife's voice, to hear the touch of their husband. lives take them and seasons change but I pray Father for that covenant God would you restore the covenant we made with you and the covenant we made with our spouse and Lord may our marriages be reprioritized as the thing not our kids. Oh, that's so important. We'll get to that, but Lord, that center of who we are, the one fleshness. Let's pray for our families, Lord. I'm going to pray for all the single moms and single dads in the room, all the heroes. 
All the ones ready to quit. All the ones going, if, Lord, if you don't move in church today. I want to pray for all the parents parenting with fear. You're holding the reins so tightly. And the kids don't seem to listen. They just won't obey. They don't listen to me. go a little bit and for all the dads Lord I just pray Lord let them reign let them embody the culture of the home and lead their children to rise up into it and Lord for anyone in the room whose kids are far from you and even far from them rouse fallouts divorces and they went with their daddy and they went with their mommy and I don't know all I know is how good you are and how strong you are and how big you are and how Lord you are the restorer and the bringer together you are the way maker and Father for every heart that is crying out to you Lord restore to me my child restore to me my child and this just popped into my heart right now and I'm not saying it's a prophetic thing, far from it, because it's quite a big thing I want to say, but I want to pray for anyone in the room, a couple that's been trying for a child that hasn't been working out, and you're waiting and waiting. And that's, that's so hard because everywhere you look, somebody's pushing a pram and everybody's got a belly. So I want to pray, Lord Jesus, Father, for healing, pray for your timing. I want to pray, Lord, for a healthy conception. I want to pray for pregnancy. I want to pray for babies to be born. Father, we love you. We thank you for our families, as weird and as whacked out and as wonderful they may be. We bless you. We love you so much. Pour out your spirit. Just receive the spirit whatever you need right now for your family. Let's open up your hands there for a little minute. Just say, Lord, I need this. This is what I need. And receive, just receive, 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 receive. Come on, just receive. Lord, will you strengthen marriages right now in the room? Lord, will you touch we grieving hearts? Touch we grieving hearts, Lord. in the room, Lord. Come on, if you're here with your spouse, give her a wee squeeze. Go on, take her hand. Take his hand. Give him a squeeze that lets them know it's going to be all right. Go on. Jesus. I'm going to pray for all the men. Come on, we're going to take a lead now. We're going to take a lead. I'm going to invoke your beauty. I'm going to cherish you. Holy Spirit, come on, do your thing.